We are continuing on with a series uh, in this post, uh, actually in this Easter season. It's not post-Easter season, it is Easter season. You've been hearing me talk about that for the last few weeks, and uh, I want again just to make sure that you are, you are uh, experiencing the joy, the continuing uh, joy and, and, and just life of resurrection during this Easter season. And so we've been looking at some stories from the book of Acts and thinking about the impact of Easter and what Easter life looks like, what Easter people look like, what the church looked like as it, as it literally spilled forth from the resurrection, Jesus' life coming forth from the empty tomb, and the church of Jesus Christ growing, expanding, and spreading out of that life that he was now giving to them as they put their faith in him. So we're thinking about Easter faith, how it impacted, how the resurrection impacted the people of God, how it impacts the people of God even today, and then how this Easter faith sends us to be and to make an impact in the world in which we live. So uh, impact, Um, hopefully This is making some kind of an impact on your life in these days. Turn to the book of Acts, would you? Chapter 9. The book of Acts, chapter 9. And we're going to read this morning a little story about uh, God's work through a man named Peter. And I'm just going to like cut right through the the, uh, things that could get in the way of you hearing this story. There's... There's a few, but, but one major one, and that is the Greek translation of this woman's name. Let's just own it right up front, all right? You can see it there on the screen. Dorcas is not a word that we use often in a positive tone. Um, and so I just want to just own that right from the start instead of when we read it. Many of you are going, he said Dorcas, ha, ha, ha. Okay, like, like the guys in the sound booth back there probably would be doing. All right, so um, let's just own that. Let's stand and let me read it, and we'll refer to her as Tabitha from here on out. All right, chapter 9, verses 36 to 43. At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Right on? There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is, let's say it together, Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. But about this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. One verse (laughs) covers all of that. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him, Please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. 
Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. And the news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Danny Naren and I were at a pastor's conference this week, and one of the speakers led off with this statement that maybe some of you have heard before. He said, your system is perfectly designed to achieve the results you are currently getting. Your system is perfectly designed to achieve the results you are currently getting. Does that make sense? What you're doing is what you're getting. And, and perhaps some of us, again, have heard this saying, which simply speaks to that reality that the results that we're experiencing in our lives, whether they're business-related or family-related or in terms of our relationships or in our faith, the outcomes that, uh, that we are experiencing are the natural result of the activities or the systems that we carry on and carry out on a regular basis. We, we recently got a new copier uh, in our church office, and it's really exciting news because we haven't had a new copier for about 12 years. And uh, so the other one was a little outdated. But let's just say the new one that we have got is, is uh, not just a little more complex, it is a lot more complex than the previous uh, copier. This one prints in color, and it scans, and it faxes, and it collates and it staples, and it probably does about 50 other things that I will never know that it does. And in the process of getting this new copier, it's become a little overwhelming for me, and I'll just kind of include the rest of our team. Just maybe it isn't for them, but I don't want to feel so alone in this process. So it's been a little overwhelming for, for us as we've tried to get used to this new copier. And uh, there have been a few times where, you know, we have gotten a little upset with the copier. We haven't hit it yet, but, um, or kicked it, but, or cursed at it. You'll know, like to know that there's no cursing going on in the church office. But this copier has, it's, you know, it's elicited a few negative feelings within us. Um, I, and, and every time I, I, you know, it doesn't do something that I want it to do, I remember the words of the tech guy, the copier guy, when he came to set up the, the copier and was interfacing with the computer and he was getting it on the network and da-da-da-da-da, and he said, just remember, the copier won't do anything that you don't tell it to do. It only does what it's told to do. Now, I don't know if, uh, if uh, you've worked with very many machines you know this feeling even better than myself, but sometimes it feels like these machines are rising up against us. I, I Honestly, I want you to just do this for one minute. Just turn to someone next to you and just share with them your most frustrating experience with a piece of technology this week. Okay? All right? Ready? Take one minute and do that. If you need to stretch it back two weeks, you can.
Well, as much as it may seem like these machines are rising up against us, that got really loud. Did you turn that up? I wasn't trying to yell over you. But as much as it may seem like these machines are rising up against us, most still agree that the old acronym G-I-G-O still applies. Garbage in, garbage out. If we, if we tell a computer, a machine, to do something, then its logical processes will be that it will do what we told it to do. And sometimes that makes sense, and sometimes that makes no sense. And, and uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the things that we are a part of. Uh, if, if I want a, uh, a, a double-sided, one side color, the other side black and white, stapled and collated, that's what it, if I tell it to do, that's what it will do. If it doesn't, if I don't tell it to do that, it won't do that. And evidently, that's not what I'm telling it to do. <laughs> Sounds like, uh, yeah, anyway. What this means, again, practically, if we're satisfied with the results, if you're satisfied with the results that you're currently getting in business, church, family, then we should simply keep doing the things that we're doing in the same way. Keep the system status quo. It's perfectly designed to achieve these results. But if for some reason we're not, and I would hope that most of us are not completely satisfied at this point with everything in our life, and especially when it comes to matters of the church, matters of faith, if it isn't, then it means that we have some work to do means that we shouldn't just sort of sit around and complain about the results, shouldn't just sit around and complain or, or you know, point at the outcomes and talk about how bad they are or get frustrated or mad or kick them or ourselves or others. It just means that we need to re-examine our system, that we need to go back to the, the data and the input and the things that we are putting into it, the practices, the information so that we can add to these or change these processes and begin to achieve our desired results. Well, we've been looking at the book of Acts, as I said, last few Sundays. And we've seen that the system that the early believers had, and I'll just put quotes around it, uh, is that um, it, it was working uh, pretty well for them. We saw last week that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the message of Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection was, was going viral. This was far more, I hope we know, than solid organizational development and good marketing strategies. <laughs> this was the power of the resurrection. This was the empowerment, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within the lives of these disciples and followers of Jesus. And they had, with this power, with this knowledge, with this presence of the Spirit, had set about to tell as many people in as many ways, in as many areas as possible, this good news, this message of Jesus. They were carrying on the work of Jesus. They were preaching about the kingdom of God that had come to be among them. They were healing people. They were calling out the religious leaders. They were getting into trouble. They were being persecuted. And as we saw last week, it was persecution that in fact led to one of the greatest missionary expansions of the church known in its early history. We've heard about the amazing missionary work of people like Peter and John, these disciples who, remember a few weeks ago, said, you know, we just can't quit talking about Jesus. You can do with us whatever you need to do, but we're not going to stop. We've heard about the personal evangelism of Philip, the bold, martyred witness of Stephen, 
and most recently last week about the transformation of Saul, this persecutor of persecutors of the Christian church, whom we are told once he was converted there in chapter 9, we're told that his preaching became, became powerful, so powerful that now it was he that was wanted by the religious leaders. He had a warrant out for his life. Verse 31, if you have your Bible still open, of chapter 9, kind of right in this at this conclusion of the Saul story, in a sense. I don't have this on the screen for you, but verse 31 of chapter 9 says this, the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Perhaps business experts would have a hard time pinning down just what it was that was going on here. But whatever it was, it was working. Their system was perfectly designed to achieve these results, and it was a system that was in process. Our passage today finds us back to the Apostle Peter. We kind of started with him, and now we've come back to him. And, and really, a lot of scholars look at this, this portion in the book of Acts as, as sort of started by Peter with his sermon at, in, in chapter 2 and ended here with his activity in chapter 9. And then chapter 10 actually moves into a new situation that involves Peter as well. But verse 32 tells us, again, if you have your Bibles open, this isn't on the screen for you, but it tells us that he was traveling about. And, and I, you know, that's all. It's so summarized. It's so brief. We don't get much detail. It's just that he was traveling about. And I just kind of imagine and envision Peter just, you know, he went down to Lydda to encourage the believers there. And I can just imagine Peter just armed with this good news of the gospel, empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit, just, just looking for somebody, just looking for somewhere just traveling about, waiting and wanting and hoping and planning to be able to proclaim, to be able to share, to be able to teach, to be able to heal. In fact, in that lead-up story to ours in verses 32 to 35, we're told how there in the town of Lydda he met and healed a man who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. He said to him, perhaps remembering some words from his master, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Peter here extending, carrying on the work of Jesus in this place. And the whole population, it says there, of Lydda. I I had to look again. I didn't read several translations on this, but the NLT at least says the whole population of Lydda saw the man walking around and turned to the Lord. Now that's good evangelism. That's a great strategy. The excitement continues in the story that we've read today. And uh, I hope you got just a little bit of the flavor of the excitement that's going on in this story. It really takes it to a whole other level. Of all the amazing things that have happened in the book of Acts to this point, we haven't quite reached to this level. Somebody being raised from the dead. And not only somebody. Let's be clear here because Luke, the writer of Acts, takes some some moments here and some time and some energy to describe just who it is that we're dealing with in this passage. It isn't just any person, it's Tabitha. 
Tabitha, this amazing woman, a believer, a disciple. In fact, scholars note that she is called by the feminine form of the word disciple in the Greek language by Luke. It's the only time in the New Testament that that word is used. She was a disciple par excellence, not one of the original apostles, but a disciple, a woman who had stepped into following Jesus with all her heart and with all her life, and she was giving herself, as Luke goes on to show us very clearly, all of who she had to the purposes of Jesus Christ. She's the one who had founded her own compassionate ministry center, it appears, here in Joppa. It says, Luke says, she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. It appears that in particular, her ministry was extended towards widows, particularly effective among the widows of Joppa, as evidenced by the, the mourning uh, of, that, that they expressed at her, at her death. Much like when Jesus raised his good friend Lazarus from the dead, now Peter was raising an all-star. He, he, was, he was raising a leader in the growing body of Christ. And this was a big deal both in terms of what it is that he had done and was doing and who it was that this involved. So we want to be sure and grab onto that. We read at the end of the story, again, that the news spread, and many believed at the raising of Tabitha. It's filled with drama. If you've been reading or if you've read the book of Acts at all, I know some of our, our student groups are reading the book of Acts, and if you've been reading the book of Acts at all, some of our adult growth groups as well, if you've been reading it, you know that, that these stories are filled with drama. They're filled with suspense. They're, let's just be honest, they're, they're filled with flash and, and, you know, interest and intrigue. And this one's no different. It's, it's impressive, this story is. And it speaks, again, to the amazing resurrection, of pow resurrection power of God that has been set loose into the world. The, the one who raised Jesus from the dead is now raising Tabitha from the dead as well. It, it speaks of the new life that God is able to bring not only to human bodies, but to communities and to relationships and to, to spiritual life. The people who are dead, God is able to raise them to life. It especially demonstrates, many would say, God's heart for those who extend compassion in the world and those who are in need in the world. God particularly cares, many would say as they read this passage, for the widows and for the poor and for those in need. And so he shows in this passage his care for them and in this story by seeing to it that the one who had cared for them so deeply was not allowed to pass from this earth, raising their caregiver who had died back to life. All of these aspects of the story are noteworthy. And important, and that's why I have just made note of them. But at the same time, I think the story shows us another thing. I, I think the story, amidst this drama, amidst the flash, amidst the, let's just call it the amazingness of this story, it shows something else. It, 
I want to suggest that it shows a system. That sounds so boring. Systems are not flashy. <laughs> Those of you who maybe are engineers or who work with a lot, systems a lot, I'm not calling you not flashy, but I'm just saying you know what I'm talking about. It's just I plug this in, then I do that, and I, then I do this, and it's that process, and then this process, and we make the system work and we achieve an end result. I want to suggest that this passage shows us a system designed to achieve the results that the early church was getting. I don't want to suggest that we can somehow wrap it up and package it and market it and say, just do this, and you too will grow a new religion. You know, that, that's not what we're talking about here. Obviously, remember the resurrection power of God exhibited in Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit powerfully at work in them. But with that, how was it that the disciples were availing themselves to this power? How is it that they were dialing into, tapping into the, the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? I want to suggest that while it sounds boring, that it's possible that just as much as this story is about the show that was sort of seen on the surface by the people. It's about the decisions and the commitments that were made behind the scenes, below the surface, the internal commitments that were in place, in particular in Peter's heart, that enabled him and other followers of Jesus to cooperate with God's purposes, to cooperate with his Holy Spirit in bringing about God's purposes and God's results. What do we see here that's part of the system? And what do we see here in particular, I pray, that is, is able to be replicated in our world and in our church and in our lives here today, that we can step back from this story and not just say, what an amazing system. Good job, Peter. But instead, we can say, thank you for that. Let us live into that ourselves in our day and in our context. First of all, Peter shows here what might best be called the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence. Maybe the first, I'm going to give you three, the first step in this system that he demonstrates in this, in this story, in this situation. When Tabitha died, there was an urgent need we're told. And, and they washed her body for burial, but they didn't anoint it and they didn't bury it. They took it upstairs to the upper room. Isn't it interesting how things always happen in upper rooms? If you've got two stories, I want to come to your house because good things happen up in that upstairs room, it seems like, in the Bible over and over. And again, the disciples or, or the friends of, of Tabitha and likely disciples take her body, deceased body, to that upstairs room. They heard that Peter was nearby in Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him to come. Luke says they sent him to beg him to come. I wonder if they sent two big, burly men to influence him rather strongly to come. I don't know what the scenario might be. It's interesting that the Bible often speaks of sending two men. Again, two people go to convey the message. 
But Tabitha has died. Peter, we really need you to go. And I don't know if there's any, I, I don't read any arm twisting going on in this passage. It, my sense is that Peter had the clear sense, well, I'm just traveling about. Just healed this guy who was eight years down. I'm traveling about. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection power of God is on the loose. Let's see what's next. Where are we going again? <laughs> Let's go to Joppa, they said to him. And we read there in verse 39 that he returned with them. I want to call this the ministry of presence, just showing up. Show up. Peter decided to show up. He returned with the men to Joppa, the ministry of presence. The other disciples seemed to know was so important. This had been a mainstay of Jesus' ministry. I mean, if we want to think of the book of Acts as, as what Jesus, as Luke sort of says at the beginning of the book, this is what Jesus continued to do. He had written, Luke had written about what Jesus did in his gospel, and now he wrote about what he continued to do in the book of Acts. Now, not in a physical presence, but through the hands and feet of his disciples. It was Peter. He had watched over and over again, people come to Jesus and say, hey, can you come to my house? Can you come my way? Can you come over here? I need your attention. And time and time again, Peter had watched Jesus, most likely as Peter was trying to usher him and urge him to get somewhere else, he'd watched Jesus just stop and pay attention to this person. Going to the person this had been a mainstay, not only of Jesus' ministry, but of Jesus' being. He was the incarnation. He was the presence of God among humanity. He had come to be with his people. He had come to be present with us. If, if Peter hadn't gotten it, he wasn't paying attention, and he was paying attention. And so when they said, come with us, he said, let's go. And he showed up. He went to be watching as watching Jesus did, he went to be with these people. The ministry of showing up. Think of the people who have been there with you in your time of need. Showing up the presence of God, the hands and feet of Jesus to you. Last week was the six-month mark of Katie's surgery on her brain. Our daughter had a brain tumor last fall, and Again, just reminded as I read this passage just about those moments, and many of you have been these people in a hospital room, in a waiting room, waiting for who knows what news. Uh, it was her birthday yesterday, and, and on a much brighter note, I remembered the night she was born and the people who waited in the waiting room, my parents who are here right now, and my sister and brother-in-law, and waiting for the news of her birth, and I'm really glad she's in childcare today, so she's not embarrassed by me talking about her so much. But, but the, the significance of people being with you, people who have waited with us, people who didn't even necessarily say much, but just showed up. And you can think of the times when you have been that person who didn't receive the showing up, but we're the shower-upper, and good job. 
the job. This is where ministry takes place. This is a part of the system of what God is doing in the world. And not only do we show up for those people, but catch this, we show up because we don't necessarily know already what it is that God might want to do in us and then through us. Not sure if Peter had in mind exactly what was going to go on. In fact, I'm pretty sure he didn't. But he went knowing that God would be there. God would help him. I remember when I was in seminary, I don't tell this story proudly, but one of my friends never went to chapel. Uh, I did. <laughs> but uh, I'm, looking, I'm not looking for points there, but uh, I, I, I did, and he didn't. And he just told me, I said, why don't you ever go to chapel, man? We're in seminary. We're supposed to be learning about God. And he said, well, God doesn't come there. And I was like, oh, man. That's an indictment against the chapel system at Nazarene Theological Seminary. But I didn't say that. I just looked at him and said, but what if he does? Just saying. Just saying. How many times have you you missed something? You didn't go. They said, come on out. We'll do this. We're going to go over there. No, I'm too tired. And they just, something happened, something great. And just put that in the God perspective. What happens when God wants to show up and we've not shown up ourselves? Peter shows up. The ministry, the part of the system to get this going is to get there, people. We got to get there. We got to get into the places, into the people, into the situations, and into the context. And that's not just coming to church. It's not just coming to chapel. I hope you come to chapel. I hope you come to church because I believe that God will show up here, and he does weekly. And even sometimes in the middle of the week, believe it or not, that God does show up in this place. But guess what? God is showing up all over the place. God's pouring himself out in this context and the relationships and the concerns and the hospital rooms and the neighborhoods and the business offices and the lunchrooms and the schools. God's there. And will we be there to show up? Just be a presence. Be there. Be available. Be ready. Be on the alert. Be looking for how God might want you to work. A ministry of presence. Show up. Second one that Peter puts on display here, and this is an essential part of any system that a church might want to tap into, is a ministry of prayer. A ministry of prayer. And I'm just going to call this the kneel down ministry. You can show up, but will you kneel down? His readiness to work his way through all the distractions of this scene and find his way to a place of quiet prayer and supplication. Again, Jesus pulling away from the crowds. You guys take care of things for a while. I'm going to the mountain because i got to pray. How many times had Peter heard that? Right up to the very last night of his life before his crucifixion, Peter heard Jesus say, just stay here and pray. i got to go pray. And here's Peter in this moment. And I don't know what was going on again in this scene. I don't understand all of it. I wish Luke would have given us a little bit more detail. But Peter steps into this room, into this environment, and he is like mugged by widows. 
I mean, they're just like attacking him. I'm just envisioning this scene. Widows just coming at him and they're like, look at what she made me. Look at this. Look at how she took care of me. She loved us so deeply and on and on and on. And I can imagine them just over and over just recounting stories about how great Tabitha was, what she had done for them, how important she was for them, how important she was for the work of God in this place. What a distraction. (laughs) What a good distraction, but what a distraction. And you can sort of see Peter just like, where is she? What's going on here? And then I can only, I can can also imagine the distraction perhaps of people saying, oh, Peter, we've heard what you did and we've heard what you've done and we know who you are and we think you're amazing. We think you're incredible. We think you can do a great work here just like, are you hearing me? You did there. And I can imagine it wouldn't be the first time that a religious leader had thought himself or herself a little more sufficient than they really were. I can imagine Peter for a moment thinking, yes, I am pretty incredible. Did I tell you what I just did a few hours ago back in Lydda, as a matter of fact? Here's Peter just cutting through the distractions Widows coming all over him. Feelings of sufficiency and superiority even perhaps coming all within him. And he's cutting through it and he's saying, clear the room. Clear the room. I was working on this passage on Thursday afternoon and uh, we had a committee meeting for our trustees. Our church board does some amazing work, by the way. And we had a committee meeting for our, our trustees, and we came in, and we had an agenda. I'm telling you, it was an agenda, and there were several things for us to get to, and it was money, and it was facilities, and it was important, and it was all God's work. And we started to dig in, and I said, hold on, we got to pray. <laughs> we got to pray. But back this up a little bit before we get going. I'm just reading this passage. I'm heavily under conviction, people, I said. But how often do we just get out in front? Because of the clutter, perhaps? Just because of the stuff? And I'm not calling those women clutter, but just because of the stuff that's happening all around us or because of our, either our feelings of sufficiency or our sense that if it's going to happen, you know, if it's to be, it's up to me, and I've just got to get into this. I've got to get it going. And so we just speed up, and we speed through, and we miss out, and we fail to kneel down. Go back to that person you were talking to earlier and talk for one more minute right now. I'm not kidding, seriously. One minute about what it is that kept you from kneeling down this week. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you knelt down a whole lot. But what was it if you fought through it? What was the temptation? And if you weren't able to, what was it that kept you from kneeling down in prayer to the extent that you wished you would have and even felt God calling you to? Take a moment just to share about that.
When you're the pastor, you don't just have to share with one person, you get to share with the whole congregation. So for me, it was, it was getting busy. It was, it was busyness. It was mornings that started a little earlier maybe than I had anticipated the night before, <laughs> or it were days that got crowded earlier and later <laughs> than I had planned for. And before long, you've moved from wake up to shut down, and you haven't knelt down. Can I just give a shout out for the kneel down, by the way? By the way? I'm all about praying in your car on your way to work. Don't get me wrong. I love the prayer around the, the meal, around the table. Say that as often as you can. In fact, say it before and after. I'm all about the prayer around the meal at the table. I'm all about the whisper prayer in the middle of the day when the Lord brings someone to your heart or in the middle of a, con, a certain situation and the Lord brings someone to your heart and you just kind of whisper a prayer. Something sweet happens when you kneel down. And I'm not talking about Tim Tebow. I'm not, ta- I'm not telling you to do this in the middle of your workplace, you know, and just like. <laughs> but find a quiet moment. How rude of Peter to chase the widows out of the room. How rude. But he knew it had to be done. How rude to, you know, turn the TV off. How rude to ask our kids to read a book for a few moments. How rude to tell our spouse that we'll talk to them and minutes. I'm not about dividing families. Get me right here. I am about kneeling down. Kneel down. Ministry of prayer. Good things happen when we kneel down, when we make space for God to work, when we get through all the other stuff, and we recognize that ultimately nothing good happens as Peter did until God works, until God moves. Ultimately, Peter knew that up to him, this woman was going to stay dead and washed for burial. She'd be laying on that bed in the upper room until they came and took her away if it was just up to him. Peter knew that it was not up to him, that it was God's work if something was to be done in the situation. And so he knows to kneel down. Is there a situation in your life? Is there a person? Is there a context? Again, are there people as we as a church? Is there anything that we want to do that we think can only be done because God will do it? I hope so. If we're all here just because we think we can do something great, then let's just join a club. (laughs) We're here because we think God can do something great in us and then through us. And it's when we pray, it's when we open our hearts to him in new ways that we become not only recipients of his presence and his power, but then vessels of it as well to the world around us. Ministry of prayer. Stop there. Last one's this. Ministry of proclamation. Presence, prayer, proclamation. They all started with a P. Good job, James. (laughs) You're helping me. But this one's a little tricky because when he raised Tabitha to the dead, Peter actually didn't preach a sermon. At least we're not told that he did. Instead, we're told that he presented her to them. He showed them the demonstration of God's work 
in the world. And so a ministry of proclamation, I'm calling it Speak Up, but I'm really talking about speaking up through the demonstration of God's work in our lives and in the experiences that we've been a part of. We talked about speaking up with our voices a couple of weeks ago. I want to come back to this idea. He presented her to them alive. Not just with her words, but with a demonstration. We're going to have communion. I'm just going to leave that right there for you because I believe that communion is a way that we do this. And let this, what we're getting ready to do, be the, the illustration, the acting out even of this idea of a ministry of proclamation. For in doing this, eating and, and, and drinking of this meal, Jesus said, you proclaim my death until I come again. And this is what we do. This is an example. As we eat, as we drink, we proclaim what it is that God has done. We, we, we demonstrate by our actions, both in our own hearts and to the world, that God has done something powerful and beautiful in the giving of his son, Jesus. He's changed lives. Now, I'll say that as we eat the broken bread and the drink, the spilled out symbol of Christ's blood, we are mindful, as I say from time to time, of how we might be broken and spilled out to the world. Amen? And we do that through the demonstration, through the revealing, through the presentation of, to those around us of what it is that God has done for us in our lives. I, I would love for you to go out and speak up in words as to the, the work of Jesus in your life. And I would love for you to go out and for all of us to speak up through the demonstration and the witness of what it is that God has done through our lives. It's really fun. And as we talked about last week, the viral spread of the gospel, let me just, let me just give you this challenge right now. What might it be, what might it look like to, to like Jesus this week? It's easy to click a button on Facebook or to favorite. Do they even favorite on Twitter anymore? I don't know if they do. But it's easy to click a button. What might it look like to, by the demonstration of our lives, to, to start a, and, and continue a viral spread of the goodness of God in the world? A word of mouth campaign. And when you start thinking about word of mouth campaign, that's just, that's, that's little stuff. It's planting a seed. Oh, God did this in my life. Oh, look at that. Oh, praise God. Oh, this happened. Oh, this is going on in my church. Did you know the teens in my church are going skating from 10 to midnight on a Saturday, and none of them are going to come to church the next day? <laughs> just kidding. That's the reverse of that. They're all going to be at church the next day. A word-of-mouth campaign, a ministry of proclamation, the system, friends, the system Present, available, ready, alert, praying, 
kneeling, asking, pleading, cutting through distractions, proclaiming, speaking, presenting, demonstrating, achieving the results that it's designed to achieve. Let's pray together. Worship team, you can come here and I'll serve you. Danny and Aaron and Michelle, you can come as well. Thank you, God, for this amazing story. So much going on here and we don't really want to miss out on any of it. Thank you that the story, again, just so vividly and powerfully reminds us and every reader of it throughout history that the resurrection power of God is on the loose, that it can't be contained, and it shows up in, in surprising places. Thank you that the story reminds us that you do care about those in need. You care about the poor, you care about the widows. These who are sometimes set aside have always been the center of your heart, the center of your purposes. Help us to listen and learn from these realities. And yet below the surface, behind the scenes, may we see the system that we might tap into more and more as individual followers of yours, Jesus, and as the a church community, be people of presence available to wherever it is that you might guide us to be people of prayer, quick to kneel, to be people of proclamation. And may we live in that system and as unexciting as it may seem, may we recognize that there's no greater excitement than being in that process, than being in that system and watching you work in us and through us to achieve the results that you desire. We want to be available to that. And so even in these moments, as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we receive of the bread broken for us, and the cup, the symbol of your blood shed for us, may we do so as, as, in, as celebration, thanking you, celebrating all that it is that Jesus has done for us. And may we do so as announcement and presentation to ourselves and to the world of what it is that you can do for every single one. Thank you, Jesus, that you passed the bread to your disciples. You broke it. You said, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat as you do remember me, in the same way you took the cup and you blessed it and you passed it to them and said, this is symbol of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take of it and drink. And each time you do, remember me. In these moments, we hear you speaking to us as your disciples, and we remember you, and we celebrate you now. We pray this in your name.